Welcome to Cycle Breakers and Moneymakers, a podcast for women of color and first gen who are breaking generational cycles and glass ceilings by going places no one before them has ever gone. I'm your host, leadership coach and eldest daughter of immigrants, Mariella Delamora. I left a 16 year marketing career to create a multiple six figure a year coaching business as a single mom. Each week, you'll learn how to build unshakable self trust, become in demand lead with confidence, and make more money by being more of who you are. Hello, everyone. I am coming to you from Mexico City, where I have been for the past week running my very first ever live event for my clients, the Reclamation Mastermind live event in retreat. It was Saturday, February 3rd through Monday, February 5th. And it kicked off the 12 months in Reclamation Mastermind for my uh, 17 clients who are in the program. And I feel like it took a couple of days to really just like process what happened, (laughs) like the beautiful parts about it, the unexpected parts, the emotional parts. And I'm going to share those lessons with you today because I think that it is so important for us to hear from people just at different stages of business, like I'd I'd say in particular, because I'm a coach, I really want to always kind of share the things that I once thought wouldn't happen at a certain point that still happen at a bigger scale, meaning problems going wrong, feeling big emotion, fears, like still actually feeling fear and imposter syndrome, things like that, where I think that we tend to put either people at certain business stages or incomes on like a pedestal, or we just think that we shouldn't be experiencing what we're experiencing now, rather than seeing the challenges we're experiencing now as preparation and just a normal, regular part of growth, of discomfort, of stretching yourself, right? So I I, I think I share this because I want you all to know that no matter how hard you try, things are going to go wrong that you didn't expect, right? And I don't want that to ever hold you back from the things that you want to do, but rather for you to think about what is my vision that I have and what is that going to require of me, of my support system, of my tolerance for fears, for things going wrong, all the things, because you're not going to get to some like magical place where like those things don't happen. I really just want to put things in context for you so that you can honestly like not be afraid to dream bigger, like not be afraid to set that bigger vision because it isn't about feeling like, okay, I've got it together and now I can handle anything and things aren't going to go wrong. And like now my identity is unshakable and I have so much self-trust and like I'm going to plan everything. And it's like, listen, you're just going to do the best that you can at anything that you do. But anyone that you may be looking up to, they also have honestly like probably challenges that a version of them two years ago probably couldn't handle. So we're constantly just expanding and stretching. And for me, the live event was like the ultimate representation of all the work, all the nervous system work that the community that I have built around me, the identity that I have built around myself and my own self-concept. It was like the Olympics of like all of my inner work. So just to recap, I threw a three-day event in Mexico City to kick off 12 months with my mastermind clients who are in reclamation. And I had to decide this in October, even before the launch, because I had to you know find a location and all that. And the reason that I threw this event was because I have seen personally through my own experiences, through me being in masterminds, as well as the first, you know, two rounds of reclamation, that 
when people in a mastermind are actually able to connect with one another on a deeper level, they feel safer. They're able to release shame. They're able to um, develop self-trust more quickly. They're able to kind of just like practice entrepreneurial skills in a safer environment. Because a lot of what we tend to think is that like we're the only ones and that somehow somebody else has it more together than us. And we also just need more people. Like we need more support, more mirrors rather than just like our one coach. And that I I think that like at a certain point in business, it's actually better to be in a mastermind than it is to work with a coach one-on-one. Depends which mastermind you're in. But I think we absolutely need this community. And so I was thinking if my clients are going to be with me for 12 months in this program, how could I kick this off in a way that is going to benefit them the most, that is going to help them get better results, that's going to help them connect with one another and not just connect, meaning we're going to be physically in a room and I'm going to show you slides the whole time, right? That doesn't help people connect. And what tends to happen sometimes in those events is it's up to the people to get to know one another, but like there isn't a facilitation of that. Right. So that means like, okay, maybe between breaks, you start to kind of awkwardly chat with people, or maybe you make dinner plans or lunch plans. Right. And I've been in many masterminds at this point. And I think that the ones that I'm in, like, they serve me in the way that they need to serve me. But I know there was a, a time where, like, literally the most important thing I have my people, my, my community is still growing. But I would say that, like, that's the part that changed my life. And that is what I really, really emphasize in in reclamation is the building of this community. So I didn't want to just bring people together and kind of leave it up to them to get to know one another. Like we actually intentionally focused on how can people get to know one another? How can we build a sense of trust over the weekend? So what we covered at day one, the morning versus day two, the afternoon, you know, all the different things kind of escalated, meaning more in-depth discussions. People told stories, shared stories about them being daughters of immigrants and like them being seen and fears that they had growing up and how they were conditioned. But we didn't start with that on day one, right? Like, so like we built this connection over the course of a few days. So essentially, even if you came came in to reclamation and you were, let's say, self-proclaimed shy or quiet or an introvert, um, that you would still feel like you came away with new connections and felt safe being seen. That was just kind of the overwhelming like feedback was that people felt seen there. And that's really what I wanted for it. And that's why I threw the the event. Now, that being said, it I knew that it was going to be hard for me. Like meaning I knew it was going to stretch me because there it was just all new. And I had a much bigger launch than I anticipated. Like for me, 17, going from seven people to 17 people, for my coaches, they're like, yeah, that's totally fine. But for me, I was like, well, this is this feels like a big, you know, stretch. So it, there was I knew that it was going to be hard. And I say this that not that it was actually hard, just hard for my identity. My identity was of a coach who was used to balancing 14 one-on-one clients and maybe seven people in a mastermind, but I hadn't yet had the the identity of a coach that runs a 17-person mastermind, right? So this is a this is an important designation that just because something is hard for you doesn't mean that like future you is going to think it's that challenging, right? You're always stretching your capacity. But I knew that for me, running an event like planning an event for the first time in this capacity, holding space for this number of clients, having a team that was going to support me in all the decisions, thinking about how am I going to create this experience? You know, all these things were going to be new for me. And so I went into it with that mindset rather than being like, oh my gosh, this is hard. I shouldn't have done this. It's just like, no, it's just going to be challenging for my current identity. And the thing about throwing an event as well is that it's, a, it's like a train. So the train is moving. You can't then decide, oh, I need another week or I need a little bit more time, or I'm not ready. It's like, nah, once you pick the date, (laughs) 
that's it. That's what you're going to do. That was something that I was actually excited about because I think that like past me would be like, oh, I need a little bit more time. And now it's like, no, the date is the date. We just have to do the best that we can with the time that we have. So the first lesson that I learned in hosting my very first live event was that getting what you want is also uncomfortable. And I think that this is important to state because we think that there's only like good or bad things that could happen. Like good would be getting more clients or more money. And that like bad would be like not getting the clients or money or being rejected or making a mistake. And it's like, no, even getting what you want is going to challenge the way that you see yourself. It's going to also bring new problems to solve and new potential things that can go wrong. And I share this because I want you to, instead of avoiding what's uncomfortable, see it as a sign that like you're heading towards growth and that there isn't like a magical place that you get to where like, oh, because quote unquote good things are happening, you're going to be fine. Like, no, even when things happen, you're still going to be like, oh my gosh, what if I let my clients down? What if things go wrong? What if I, um, someone asks me a question and I don't know the answer to it, or I get invited to speak on a stage and like I stumble over my words? There's always a lot of things that could go wrong. And so, even getting the attention, even getting the visibility, even getting the clients, even getting the money is still going to be uncomfortable. The second lesson that I learned is that things will absolutely 100% go wrong (laughs) or not according to plan when you are doing something new. Maybe for you, this is a, your very first workshop or webinar. You know, it could be a lot of different things. For me, this was my first live, you know, in-person live event. And I knew stuff was going to go wrong, right? I didn't know what they were going to be, but I did the best that I could with my event planner. My event planner really, really helped normalize this for me. She's like, hey, we need a contingency plan if the internet gives out. We need a contingency plan if the vendors are late. We need to put, you know, their their phone numbers in your phone, right? So it's like part of this is like, hey, let's anticipate some of the things we think might go wrong, not from like this disastrous mindset of like, oh my gosh, like let me plan for every possible scenario. But when you're going and you're doing something new, think about like, okay, well, what if I what if this goes wrong? Like, what would I do? And just it helps you go in a little bit more confident. You may not need those steps, but just knowing when you're doing something new, things will absolutely happen that you didn't anticipate. And don't make that mean anything about yourself. So that's the difference is that rather than making that mean something about me, I was like, oh, of course, I planned for this, right? And instead of assuming nothing would go wrong, instead, I relied on just like problem solving instead. I also let myself change the plan. So while I was running the live event, I noticed like there were certain things that people really liked talking about and they needed a little bit more time, like with messaging. That was one. We also spent a lot of time when folks started sharing like stories from what they were conditioned to believe as kids and like how this was showing up in their business. I was like, ooh, this is important. Like, let's give it more time. So that's the other thing as well. It's just not according to plan. Of course, that was not going to go according to plan. I don't want to cut stuff off just because it was on the schedule because I'm like, well, my clients are showing me what is important, right? So things are going to go, like I said, they're going to either go wrong or they're not going to go according to plan. And you just need to be, instead of trying to keep everything to it, instead, it's like, okay, well, how can I just like be present with what's happening and figure out what's needed? I want to just share with things going wrong, some of the problems that I solved (laughs) before people even showed up on day one. And like you guys that were there wouldn't even have known, but I just want to share this with you, not to scare you, but more so to say like, it's okay 
and that you are just going to get more and more adept at solving problems or unexpected things in your business when you do something new and not to beat yourself up. So for example, we spent all day Friday. So the first day of the live event was Saturday. So Friday, we were setting up, figuring out like where we're going to put the chairs, putting the bags together, like all the stuff. We went to go and build or to unpack the signs. So I had like event signs. I had a smaller one and a bigger one that said Reclamation Mastermind. And they were going to be on a tripod. I just thought the tripod was going to be like this little pop-up, like metal tripod. And when we unpacked the boxes, there were like hella pieces of wood and like nuts and bolts. And immediately my brain, this is like the end of Friday. And like I had been setting up all day. I saw that and I just like my brain just tuned out. I was like, this is like building Ikea furniture. I did not know that the tripods look like this. There was no instructions. There were like pieces of tape that had letters and numbers. And my friend Liz was there with me helping me set up. And her fiance RC was there as well. And I just remember I immediately my brain went to delegate it. I was like, could we find someone who like builds furniture to just come and build this? And they were like, obviously much more rested and calm than I was. And they helped me call the company, the guy, he answered the phone. RC speaks better Spanish than I do. So they just talked and we figured out how to build the tripod stands. And this was like at the end of the day, like we thought we were going to dinner and going to chill out. And it took us a minute to build those tripod stands, but those stands looked really, really good. So I did not anticipate that I had to like build IKEA furniture stands. The other thing that we realized was we did like a technical test on Friday, like the day before the event. So my videographer came over. And then he's like, oh, I didn't realize you wanted my camera to live stream onto Zoom. I thought it was just like video. And I'm sure that was communicated. But again, language barriers, all of that. So he's like, I don't have the cord for it. I will bring it tomorrow. But tomorrow was the day of the event, right? So he's like, I'm going to come over at eight. And I was like, damn, I have to get ready. Now this man is coming over at eight in the morning. So he came over. And the first thing he said was, I have bad news. The software, like, the software that I have like doesn't, it's just not going to allow it. Right. We tried all these other things. I tried to update my system. Bottom line is we couldn't make it happen. Like my computer was having issues. My vision was that we were going to have a videographer follow the room. But if I was talking, he was going to film me. If people were talking, he was going to film them and it was going to go directly so that our virtual attendees or four virtual attendees could feel like they were there in the room with us. That wasn't going to happen. So how we solved that was I took my phone I dialed in to Zoom from my phone. We put it on a tripod and we just faced one towards the room and my computer is facing towards me. And whenever someone would talk, I would give them my lapel mic, which I'm using currently to record this episode. I would hand them my lapel mic. They would talk as the microphone and someone would move my phone to face that person. Like we figured it out. I never at any point was like, oh, this just isn't going to work. Even when the videographer said, I don't have the cord or I don't have the software, I was like, So how do we do this though? Because I was just at an event last week where we had cameraman and the cameraman were going around the room, like filming what was happening. And he's like, yeah, but they probably had, like he explained the software thing. He explained they probably had like cord, you know, stuff. Also, he's not a technical person. He's just, he's a videographer. And so I just was like, we're going to make this happen. So see how like my brain was already like, it's not going to not happen. It's just going to happen differently. That's important what I want isn't going to not happen. It's just going to happen differently. I'm not going to give up. I will never give up. That is an entrepreneurial skill is like this. I'm going to figure it out one way or another. It always works because I'm going to make sure that I never stop until I figure it out. Right. I don't want y'all to like burn yourself out, but it's like, it's this resilience of like, 
We're just going to figure out another way. So that was another thing that we figured out. The other thing was my lapel mic, which I'm wearing right now to record this episode, ran out of battery on the second half of day one because I didn't know how long the battery lasted. (laughs) So I didn't charge it. And thankfully, my videographer had like a cord. But then every time someone had to stand up with this cord to go and record. But by day two, I knew what I needed to do. I recharged my laptop because my laptop also died. I recharged the lapel mic and we charged something else. So day two, it felt like so much better, right? So I've already learned so much. The other thing was we needed an HDMI cord to connect the laptop to the TV because we were using the TV as like the screen and we didn't have one. We thought we ordered one. We ordered a different thing that we also needed, but there was no HDMI cord. So the videographer was like, do you have an HDMI cord on one of your existing TVs? And I was like, that's so genius. He found one on one of the existing TVs in the house. We used that one. So that saved the day. At one point, that HDMI cord broke. I didn't even realize this happened, but Liz went and like went shopping for one, couldn't find one. RC, her fiance, brought an HDMI cord from their house. Their house brought it to me and it just got resolved. I didn't even realize what happened. So have a support system in order, but like stuff's just gonna go wrong and it's totally fine. But what happened with all of this problem solving that I was doing, right? And things that were happening kind of behind the scenes was that by the end of day two in the middle of, or sorry, the middle of day one, I didn't realize like how overwhelmed I was, but my friends were looking at my face and they were like, hey, you need to step away. You need to eat. As I see you, you're like, you love coaching and you're just going to coach all lunchtime. We need you to go eat, go downstairs, take a rest. And so another part that I really learned about myself was energy management. Energy management will become more important the more space you hold. So begin practicing now. That is a lesson. Energy management will become more important as you have a bigger business, as you have more visibility, as you have more clients. And so energy management might look like, let's say if you've done something that requires you to have more eyes on you than normally, don't then plan a bunch of like back-to-back calls after that or plan just decompression time where like you're not doing stuff for your family or like going and doing stuff with your friends. Like just how can you your energy around doing new things because new things tend to take you know more energy from us and we're trying to manage it basically for the long run. So part of what I realized with this was that as much as I love coaching and I can coach all day, this was the first time that I had to run a marathon, essentially an energetic marathon for three days where I was coaching, holding space, you know, being with my clients for three days. So like present me was like, yeah, 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 I can just be on the whole time. But what I really needed, what it was actually to my benefit was to give myself those breaks because I needed that energy to last me for three whole days. And in that moment, I realized why my past coaches, when I had gone to their events, they didn't stay and chat with folks at lunch, why they didn't go to dinner with people afterwards. Because I was always like, oh, that's so interesting. Like I always just wanted to go and meet them and like go and talk to them and go be with them. I now understand why, that it had nothing to do with the clients and everything to do with the fact that they had to conserve their energy. Because even if they were an extroverted coach, because I think I'm a pretty extroverted coach, it's still a lot. And so it's in everyone's best interest to just manage the energy that you have, considering how new the thing is, how much time, what the rest of your week looks like, all of that. So that was definitely 
a learning lesson that challenged my identity because I felt like I always wanted to be the coach that's like just super accessible and I'm just there and I'm on with everybody all the time. So that was definitely another lesson. And that's something that you can implement and think about now is like, this is where like boundaries come in. This is where communicating your needs comes in. This is where paying attention to your body. Like, have I slept? Have I eaten? Are there things I'm saying yes to that I really want to say no to? Like that's an entrepreneurial skill. Number four, I learned that I'm planning for the discomfort of being stretched rather than avoiding it. Like rather than trying to make it as easy as possible on my on myself, what I kind of realized was that growth isn't going to get easier. If anything, you get more capable of managing it and you bring in more support. I think that I have almost like befriended fear now to where it's here or even what I used to call imposter syndrome. I don't even want to call it imposter syndrome because it's it's just you stretching your identity. But whenever it comes around, I'm like, oh, good job, me. <laughs> I'm putting myself in a situation where I'm starting out like, oh my gosh, doubting my capabilities or like, maybe this is too much. I can't believe I created this. So I'm starting to just plan for that and befriending fear, like befriending fear, befriending what used to feel like imposter syndrome as actually a sign that I'm growing, as a sign of that I'm getting closer to the thing that I want. So that's number four. Number five is the bigger the vision, the bigger your support system that you need to bring it to life. Because when I looked around the room, I was like an event planner. My event planner, Letitia, helped me plan this. I have my two friends, Liz and Garina, who were helping me and just doing what they did best, helping support like the videographers, the photographers, hosting the clients, answering questions from the chef, my team, all of that. And I realized like, oh no, this is exactly how it was supposed to happen. And when you're hyper-independent, I think that thinking of support is almost like an afterthought, but now it's like, no, it's an integral part of what you're building. When you close your eyes and you think about like, what do you see yourself doing? Maybe this isn't like an exact business plan, but like, how do you see yourself helping your community? How do you see yourself serving them? How many clients do you envision like in front of you, right? Like, what are, what is it? Do you want to throw, do you want to throw retreats? Do you want to, like, what is it that you want to do? Do you want to speak on big stages? the bigger the vision, the bigger the support system is that you need. And this doesn't always mean team. I mean, that's part of it. But I think like your people, like your community, the people who hold space, not just for your wins, but for your fears, for your doubts, that is integral. And this is why it's so important that folks come into reclamation and they can build that, right? Because that helps them build more fearlessly. It helps them dream bigger because they have the support system and they're no longer trying to avoid things going wrong but rather they're like, I can handle anything because I have my people. And so the bigger the vision, the bigger the support system that you need. And number six, I saved this for last because it's probably like the most personal share about this event. But number six, the lesson is that processing emotions is actually part of the plan, not a deterrence from it. Processing emotions is actually part of the plan, not a deterrence from it. Here's what I mean by that, especially as a woman of color and as a daughter of immigrant, requires that I, and I say this in air quotes, but I'm also very serious. It requires that I schedule crying into the calendar. (laughs) What this looks like for me is I have a somatic therapist that I see weekly before my current somatic therapist I was working with, Yudi, who is now my client. She was my somatic coach. And so I say this, that it's like, no, you're going to have big emotions and they need to go somewhere. So you can either 
feel your emotions or you can suppress them. This is something that I still, I don't like that this is true. I don't like that it's true. You can either feel your emotions or you can suppress them. You can't change your mind about how you feel. You can't like talk yourself out of how you feel. You either feel it or you suppress it. Like I said, I don't like this, but it is true. Which means as you are doing something that makes you uncomfortable, you're going to have some emotions about it, which means if you're not crying, expressing them, they're just sitting in your body. And you need a community to be able to hold those emotions with you. This is why I think having a therapist is like so important, or even having a coach who is able to hold space safely for those emotions with you is so, so important. And I'll tell you what this looked like for me, because I realized that if I hadn't allowed myself to feel emotion in the middle of this live event, I don't know what I would have done. I think I would have almost shut down to my clients and just like performed for them and to the slide. The slides were like my safety zone because then I felt like, okay, well, they're going to tell me what to say rather than being present with my clients. But I was scared and I knew that I was scared. I knew that I was scared. I went into it telling myself that. This is what processing emotions looked like for me in my very first live event. And I knew that it was going to come up. I just didn't know when. I didn't know how. I was just like, at some point, I'm going to cry. Like some, something's going to happen. Saturday morning, right? So mind you, Saturday morning, Saturday is the day, the first day of the live event. So mind you, Saturday morning, I had gone through a whole day Friday of solving problems, tech issues, sound, audio, building the tripods, seeing my clients tag me in stories that they were there in Mexico City, just all of the emotions and the, the pressure that I was putting on myself. So my friend Karina, who was staying with me at the Airbnb, she knocked on my door on Saturday morning and I was just, I was like, almost like scared to come out of my room, right? I was just sitting with myself and being like, okay, just met trying to meditate, but my brain was very active. And she came in and I'm not religious, but she is a Christian. And she came in and she said, can I pray over you? And I said, yes, you can. And she started praying over me and the event. And I just burst into tears because she just knows what to say. And she said, you're not alone anymore. Like, I want you to know that this event signifies you never are alone again. And I'm a single parent and I've had, you know, abandonment and all this. And she knows the stuff about me, but that's just exactly what I needed to hear. So I think part of my emotion Saturday morning was how much support I had. So in a way, even being supported made me want to cry because I had to deal with feeling like I was a burden to people, feeling like I should have thought of this or I should have planned for this, feeling like everyone secretly hates me because they're helping me, you know, even though they volunteered to help me. And it was, so that's what I mean about like, even getting what you want can feel hard because the amount of support and love that I received was overwhelming. So she prayed over me and I, I just cried and cried. Like literally my sleeve of my pajamas were like wet. I just was like wiping all the tears off. And that allowed me to show up for my clients. And then in the middle of the first day, I just started to notice myself. Like I looked around at all the eyes looking at me. And I just remember thinking like, this is so much attention. These are so many eyes. Like I don't want to disappoint them. And I started to kind of shut down. And so we broke early. We were supposed to go until 1230, but we broke early because I was like, something's happening in my body right now. And we, you know, we went to lunch like 10 minutes early. And Yudi, who was my somatic coach and is now my client and also a friend, was like, hey, let's go downstairs, <laughs> right? And we walked downstairs. So downstairs is where the bedrooms are. So everyone, my clients were upstairs, they were eating, they were talking, all of that. And actually, I started coaching, which is so funny. We didn't immediately go downstairs. I started talking, coaching, whatever. And then they pulled me away and was like, Mariela, I think you should go eat and you should take a break. And I was like, oh no, you know, it's like, I'm not even hungry. 
And this is my trauma response of just like, no, but I can be on. I'm really good at being on. And so we went downstairs and all of a sudden, because I went downstairs and my clients couldn't see me, my emotions started to come up and I sat down and I just started crying. And I said, I don't know why I'm crying. And sometimes this will happen, right? Like you don't know why you're crying. It was kind of like a mix between happy and scared. And then she held me. And I share the story because it's very vulnerable, but I want you all to know that like I was on for my clients. I was literally coaching them at lunchtime. I came downstairs and I had this breakdown and then I came back upstairs. I get, but I gave myself a minute, but I processed. I didn't suppress. I processed. So we sat outside, Yudi and I, and I said, I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm scared and I'm also happy. And I said, I'm looking around and I thought about this day for so long and now it's happening and everybody's here and they're sitting around and everyone's looking at me and I don't want to let anybody down. And this is so beautiful. And I'm also scared. I'm getting emotional as I tell the story and I was like, I'm just scared. And I'm also happy and I I just don't know what to do with this. And then she hugged me and she's like, can I hug you? Can we co-regulate? Like this is something we learned in in reclamation. And she's her being a somatic coach and a therapist. She hugged me and she like patted my back and she's like, this makes so much sense. This makes so much sense. And I just started bawling. And I was just like, I don't know that there's a problem to solve. I think I'm just grateful. I'm happy. I'm scared. I'm tired. And I just needed to cry. And she held me for like until basically I stopped crying. And she just said, we're all here with you. We're all here with you. And she said, this is decolonized, you know, leadership. I'm holding space for people in a way that everybody gets to like share the mic and, you know, everybody feels safe. But like, I have to go first, right? Like, I have to be this vulnerable leader that that talks to them about what's happening. And so I knew in that moment, like after I cried, I wiped my tears. I went back upstairs, you know, we kind of like introduced Yudi because she was going to do a nervous system workshop. And then I took a break so that I can process a little bit more and, and come back and feel a little bit better. But I realized like, oh, wow, like I built this community and this event where I don't actually have to be the one holding the mic the entire time where I have my own clients coming to support me. And so I decided in that moment, I'm going to come upstairs and I'm going to tell my clients like what happened. Like I'm going to tell them like, hey, you guys, just so you know, like even though I'm your coach and I'm running this event, like I had to go downstairs and process emotion and cry and not that anything was going wrong. It's just that this is a lot to hold and I'm grateful and I'm happy and I'm also scared. And I was like, and I just want to tell you that like, I don't, I don't want to wait until like I quote unquote feel better to tell you. I just want you to know because this is how I want to lead. And I know that people appreciated that. And the thing is, is that me being a leader that is very open about how I feel lets me breathe a sigh of relief. It allows me to not have to perform. And it's what I would have needed because I can't tell you how many times I put people on pedestals based on first it was like what college degree they had or what job title they had or how much money they made. And then, you know, you just do the same thing in business. And I just really wanted to normalize that. And it's like a relief for me to not have to do that, to not have to perform. So I went upstairs and I told them and I was like, hey, like, honestly, this is my dream come true. This room is my dream come true. And I'm here and it's happening. And I care so much that it terrifies me and that you as you grow and you do these things that scare you, processing emotion is going to be part of it. And this might mean scheduling time in the calendar to process your emotion or or cry or see your therapist or just admit that you don't you are scared or you don't have it together that crying is normal and i think that that gave space for other people to share their stories and cry and they would say i don't even know why i'm crying right now and all of us were like no crying is a good thing like crying means safety it means you know you feel 
actually can be seen in this way. Because sometimes that's the thing is we suppress when we don't feel safe. But when we feel safe, sometimes we feel things, even if it's from something from decades ago, right? So I think that me doing that allowed them to then come back. Because like, as soon as I shared that, Yudi was in the middle of her like nervous system workshop. Then we started talking about like why your nervous system will react like fight or flight to certain things or why your nervous system will shut you down to protect you. And people started getting up one by one and talking about things they used to get in trouble for as kids. And a lot of that was being seen or making mistakes or different things that they're now facing in their business. And I just was like, wow, processing emotion is literally a strength. Feeling emotion and leading with that is a superpower. And we as women of color and first gen really need to see more examples of leadership where those things are talked about and normalized because Lord knows I needed that. And I'm tired of us making ourselves wrong for that. I'm tired of us making ourselves wrong for having emotion. And we think about many of us growing up, we're told like, don't cry. There's no reason to cry, all of that. And now I'm like, no, actually being in touch with our emotions and feeling them is what allows us to release them and to call in the sense of peace and groundedness, to call in that space to make decisions and to lead. And I, after that point, you guys, like I was, I felt so different. After I cried, after I processed that, I remember Saturday night after everyone left and I said goodbye and they, you know, I wasn't going to see them until the next morning. There's a little bit of a vulnerability hangover, but I'm so used to it now that we said goodbye. And then my friends were like, you did it. Like day one is in the books, right? And we brought um, folks to give us a massage at the end of, of day one because I knew that I needed to like release that from my body. But day two, on the second day, I woke up so light, so excited, even though day two, I was going to be on the mic the whole day. So day one, I wasn't, but it was really hard for me. But once I released and I felt that sense of like, I actually released it and I felt that sense of safety again. Day two, I was like, let's go. Like, let's coach. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And that's what we did all day. And I felt so, so, so good on day two. In fact, day two, we even went to dinner. I was way more full on, but I was able to show up that way. So I share this with you to show you that like a future you can do anything that they put their mind to, but you're not going to do it alone. You're going to be held in community. You're going to have your coaches. You'll maybe have a therapist. You'll have your people that are going to hold not only you, but they're going to hold space for your fears. They're going to hold space for your emotions. They're going to hold space for the person that you're becoming, and they're going to watch you become that person. I want you to know that, that that is the most significant thing, that no matter what coaching program you're in, no matter what your offers are, no matter where you're living, no matter if you're in a relationship or you're not in a relationship, no matter all those things, that's what's going to be your anchor is your people, the bigger the vision, the more the support you need. And I just truly believe I'm being led by something that I can't fully explain in reclamation, meaning that it is not what I was taught, let's say like in corporate where there was like one position of leadership, like there was one leader and they were teaching and they had all the answers, right? Like it's kind of like who we think we need to be. And I think the way that I see myself leading in reclamation and that I have the last few rounds is very much like we are sitting in a circle. We are sitting in a circle and I am leading the circle, but we're also passing the microphone around. Other people are going to share their wisdom and their knowledge. We're going to connect one another. We're going to identify like, oh, this person's strength matches this person's strength. This person's desire matches this person's desire or this person's need. And that's a lot of what we do. And it's it's decolonized leadership. <laughs> I think I'm learning more about that because I I don't, 
think that I'm doing that on purpose. I'm just leading in a very intuitive way and providing what I believe my people need. And so this is truly what it means to me to lead a safe space for women of color and daughters of immigrants is in a way that, yes, I am the leader of the group, but I'm also decentralizing myself in the sense that like every person, every member of the mastermind is of support and of benefit to every other member. And that above all, people will feel safe and seen in the space and or feel safe to tell me or my team if they don't, right? So this is this is what we're building. That is what the Reclamation Live event was for. And I felt the duty to share like what the learning lessons were so that you can move forward with less apprehension, less fear, and just bigger possibility because you are constantly becoming a new version of yourself every single day, but you aren't supposed to do it alone. So I hope that this resonated with you. And that being said, I'm actually very excited to host the next live event. So despite everything, I was already like, all right, let's go for the next cohort. We opened the doors on May 15th to Reclamation again. It is a 12-month mastermind. So when you join us in May, you will fold into the current community. So everyone that you see who is in Reclamation now will be in Reclamation for the rest of the year. So they are your mastermind sisters. Um, They're your future mastermind community. And I'm just so excited for what's to come. I'm excited for the next 12 months for what who I'm going to become in the process, who I'm going to watch them become in the process. In the meantime, join the waitlist for Reclamation. We are like I said, opening the doors on May 15th. There's going to be a bonus for joining within the first 48 hours. I've yet to decide that, but just think about it, get ready, ask any questions that you've got in the meantime. It helps me to understand like what's on your mind and what you need in order to make your decision about joining. And again, share this episode, screenshot it, share it, tag me, review it on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. It helps other folks to find it who may need it. So thank you for listening to this episode of Cycle Breakers and Money Makers. And I will see you on the next episode. Now, if you have listened to this entire episode and you are thinking about working with me as your one-on-one mentor for six months, you can learn more and apply at marielladelamora.com. There you'll find dozens of client success stories from business to leadership coaching which will give you an idea of what you can expect, the range of clients I work with, and my coaching style.